Tiffany Schlein, Emmy-nominated filmmaker, author, public speaker, and internet pioneer. She founded the Webbies in 1996. She, her latest project is 5050, a short film released in October 2016. This is coming up 5050 day, May 10th, 2017. She joins us here in the studio, and she's amazing. <laughs> Tiffany, thank you so much for coming. You're so inspiring. I've been like peppering my teammates with questions that I've derived from your 50-50 uh, movie Great. all day. And, you know, I'm going to start, start with something soft. Okay. Like, this is interesting I read about you, that you and your husband like to call yourselves optimists, which are optimists with a healthy dose of skepticism. Yeah, well, actually, we just had a little debate about that because he prefers to say a skeptimist. And I say an opticist, but that perfectly describes where we come to in the world. I'm, we're both, I'm more optimistic and have a skeptical grounding. He's more skeptical and, and has some optimism. But so he, he leads off with skepticism and I lead off with opticist. Yeah. (laughs) But perfectly, that's why we're good yin yang. 45, 55, and he's 55, 45. Exactly. That's awesome. But, but like the, I'll just, I'm so curious about this 50, 50. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many different great questions I have here, but I guess the first one is: well, women earn, or, or sorry, a man earns a dollar, and in the U.S., women earn 77 cents, mm. and that. And women of color even less than. That. Right, I read yeah. that too. That's like even another layer. Yeah, yeah. And um, so there's, and then there's another fact, like the ERA, Equal Rights Amendment, which was introduced in 1923. Uh, it was brought back in the 70s, and it keeps coming up. It still hasn't yeah, passed. Yeah, women do not have... I mean, it's an amazing thing that most people don't know, that the Equal Rights Amendment has not passed. It's insane. It is insane. And, um, you know, the film... We made the film, and it, was, it premiered two weeks before the election at TED Women, at this big women's conference and on Refinery29, and we thought it was going to herald this whole new era of you know, women and equality and everything in the election happened. And um, like everyone, we were thought, well, we were devastated. And also, what what can we do more right now? And um, we thought, we're going to do 50-50 day, which is now set for May 10th. Uh And we'll use that film, so it's a 20-minute film, to trigger a global conversation about what it's going to take to get to 50-50. And... um, there's a lot of new people that are very awakened in activism right now that don't have the context. The film goes through the 10,000-year history of women in power. Yeah, it's awesome. And thank you. And um, it feels really important to give people context. We've had setbacks before. And also, what is it truly going to take? So on May 10th, we already have thousands of events signed up to have their own screening of the film. We're making printed discussion kits. And then we'll have a global Q&A that will unify all the screenings. And we'll have thought leaders in the space every hour speaking. So um, British Airways just came on board to be a sponsor. So they're going to show that film on all their planes. Oh, cool. And we have... Um, for that day or for that, the month? The whole, the whole month of May. Cool. And we're going to have... Um, I mean, our goal is let's bring this conversation to the masses. Because a lot of women speak to women about this stuff. But mm-hmm. how do we bring men in and make this more... And people on the whole spectrum of gender, how do we make this a bigger conversation and make everyone want it? Because it's been proven in so many studies that... The more gender balanced world, the 
it's better for everyone. So I've got a couple of questions, but on the side of like the people that perhaps lobby against equality or that, you know, that they're at opposition to that, well, you know, why yeah. do you think that exists? Or uh, why wouldn't it pass? It's so, I mean, the ERA, it's such a tricky one because one of the women that came out against it was Phyllis Schlafly, who, I mean, she actually recently passed away, so there's been a lot of obits about her. But, you know, there... I think that a, I think that there's a lot of a lot of men and some women that don't want to see women in an equal place in society. It's threatening. It's threatening these normal conventions. I mean, here in San Francisco, okay. it's a little harder yeah, to get our heads around. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it's baffling. It is baffling to me. But then you have something like the election where you found out so many women voted for Trump, and you're like, what's that about? Right. Which you and I would think, oh, they're voting against their self-interest, and right. and. Right, and, and so you could too, say that it, too, ERA, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, so the ERA would make women seen equally in our constitution and in our country. I mean, it's just... So I asked around the studio, I said, why do you think that? And one person said, well, maybe it's costs. You know, like men who run companies don't want to have quite equal rights because it would cost the company more money. And then another person said, this was great. She said, oh, well, I don't know, I can't find the quote. She said, basically... Those, those women need to step up and ask for more. Yeah. Well, that's she another, was, yeah. She was like going the other, other direction. That was her first impulsive reaction. Um, but I just find it like, okay, to get inside the heads of somebody who, who is mm-hmm. working in the other direction. Why? And you think maybe it's no, social norms also play into it? Yeah. So there's so many elements that play into it, but we just need to bust free of that very old thinking. And that's why when, when we were making 50-50, you know, just starting back before patriarchy in the goddess culture, yeah. women were revered and respected and were healers and lawmakers and they could marry and divorce. I mean, it was before mm-hmm. patriarchy mm-hmm. happened. There was a time when there was equality. Mm-hmm. It's always good to remember that because we just think that we're all kind of climbing back towards something mm-hmm. or trying to get to an equal space. So um, we're the exciting part of this moment that we're in right now is... The film took on more resonance after the election, which was surprising because we thought it was going to be oh, in this one space. Wind out of the sail. And, but it, it's interesting because I feel like people are so pumped and so ready to push for something positive in this climate that we're in, which is very difficult right now mm-hmm. with the administration that we have, which I won't even name names. Um, so... It's, I think it's an opportunity to double down on our effort to get to 50-50, even in these soul-crushing times. Mm-hmm. Well, double down. Well, I think it's interesting, like you said, to talk about the abundance and, and, yeah. um, instead of the... Scarcity. Scarcity, yeah. And so what are the benefits? You, know, um, you could probably rattle them off. You know, a 50-50, a equal pay, a, 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 a you know, society that's run well, that way. They, what are the benefits? What are the benefits for men? I mean... Yeah, so... For men, well, I mean, okay, on one simple level is it has always been, I mean, even in my family where I had a really good father, but, you know, mostly my mom was the one who brought us up and he was a busy surgeon and was gone a lot. But I think a lot of men today, and I have a very equal co-parent, um, Ken Goldberg, we've been together for 20 years, and uh, I think that men are being deprived of spending a lot of quality time with their children if, if, if there's that normal structure of them not being home as much. Um, so on, on that level, I think it's a real opportunity for men to be more involved in parenting 
And then in terms of companies, they just show time and time again, when you have more diversity on the board, more diversity of perspectives, you're going to come up with better ideas. Mm -hmm. I mean, companies that have more women on boards, their profits are better. Um, there's better, there, there's more perspectives on a problem. You're not just coming at it from one perspective. Um, Perhaps better retention. Yeah. All know? of this thing, considering family more on how do you create an environment that's better for family and that's healthier for everyone. So, I mean, we look to a lot of countries that have, you know, mm. parental leave and paid childcare and, you know, I, it's, it's, just, it's amazing that we don't have that in this country being the, the light among countries for so long. I'm not sure where we fall right now, but, um, yeah, I think we need to release some of that research more to yeah. show why it is truly better for everyone. Um, when a society has more gender balance, because that seems to be such a strong argument, you know, you know, yeah, that, let's that give just, them the facts. Yeah, get the facts out that this is yeah. better. This is yeah. why. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess from an economic perspective, I've always thought of the the whole economy is better if there's a strong middle class because right. then they buy a lot of items. Yeah. And then they provide new jobs and there's more new companies to make more items and more people right. to buy. Right. So that we can be... present that there's more diversity at the top mm -hmm. making decisions. I mean, if you think about the political structures. And whenever you just see those images of all the white men making these decisions, it's like they're not representing the population of this country, both in ethnicity and in gender. They're just not. It's like all white men. And our country is like 50-50 and we've got lots of ethnicities. And how can one group be making a decision for everyone else? And all the issues around control over the body and I mean, oh, it's crazy. Enough, there was a, a crazy. Yeah, there's a legislative <laughs> bill that was like produced in texas somewhere oh, did you read the about the recent it? one about the which which one there's been um, so we've been barraged the, yeah it was that men will be fined if they masturbate and they had to pay an exorbitant amount for something else they couldn't do i didn't do something else one. but basically it was taking away the control of a man's body like oh, they do just, women's oh like, like so they don't see how they would react to yeah. it that's funny yeah i think i butchered like the details there but yeah i think i got my point across maybe yeah <laughs> but that's um uh, okay, and then, so there's, um, you say there's momentum. You can talk about that in the film, too. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think so many of us thought the outcome was going to be different in the election. We thought there was a real momentum for change to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, when it didn't happen, um, I like to go back further in history because the truth is, is that we have gained a lot of rights in the last hundred years. Whenever you start feeling really depressed about what just happened, that's what I like that the film does is it gives a broader perspective of where we are on the arc of history. Mm -hmm. And we just need to double down and push harder right about now. Yeah. Because, and you saw that with the Women's March. I mean, that was such an incredible uprising of women's power in our society, in our world. Uh -huh. So that gave me tremendous hope and... Um, but I'm really excited to do this global day. This is based on this other day that my film studio does called Character Day, where you know we're really interested in using films to start gl global conversations. Mm -hmm. So we made a film called The Science of Character about four years ago, and we offered it for free for, to companies, small companies, big companies, schools, to talk about developing one's character and the new kind of social science research and neuroscience on topics like empathy and grit and courage and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So we started something called Character Day, and the first year we did it, we had 1,500 screenings, 
and the next year we had over 6,000, and last year we had 93,000 events in 125 countries. Wow. So we Dizzy. looked at that model. Well, they all show our films on the same day. We give them discussion materials to go deep on it uh-huh. and link them all together. So that's what our goal is to do for 50-50 day. So anyone can sign up. It's all free. And, and the concept is, like, if you think about the march or something, getting everyone out into the street, let's bring mm. this conversation to the places where people already gather their companies, their homes, their schools, Mm -hmm. and be like, hey, we're having a screening on May 10th, and bring your lunch. Let's have a deep dive on, just like what you were doing with everyone. Like, let's have a lunch and talk about this. Mm -hmm. It's very powerful when humans get together and see a movie and talk about something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, so there's a, like you mentioned, the patriarchy began, you know, when did that begin? In the kind of well, there's a, there's a lot industry. Of Do you want to maybe for listeners who who will go to Google fifty fifty immediately and watch the and movie? Watch the movie? Uh, but before they do, you can give them a taste of like maybe yeah. this chronology. Yeah, well, there was a the goddess, culture, yeah. goddess culture, goddess culture, most Check. most civilizations, <laughs> and you know, my actually my father wrote a whole book on. He wondered what was the single event that kept happening in history that changed all the gods from men to women. What was that? Right. It was all women gods. Yeah. They were goddesses. Yes. And suddenly every culture switched to male gods and all the goddesses were like destroyed. Mm-hmm. What was that? So he looked and what he found the commonality, uh, he wrote a book called The Alphabet Versus the Goddess, The Conflict Between Word and Image. And he saw that when literacy was introduced to a society, it seemed to kind of change the wiring of people's brains to be more male and linear and patriarchal. Huh. And he tracked that all throughout history and he wrote a great book about it. A lot of people um, pointed to the rise of agriculture, that mm-hmm. agriculture, suddenly physical strength was valued more, mm-hmm. which was usually men. Mm-hmm. And suddenly when you had agriculture, you were fighting over land. So armies, mm-hmm. you started to have politics. Mm-hmm. So there's been a lot of different theories on why patriarchy happened, but it clearly took over every part of the world. There's mm-hmm. a couple societies that are still led by women, but mostly it's men. And you're seeing an, an uprising of women getting their rights back what was rightfully theirs, mm-hmm. and, uh, and be more valued. I mean, what we're really saying is that, you know, everyone should be valued equally in society and been given the same opportunities. I mean, I just feel so fortunate, oh my gosh, that I was alive in the 21st century, like, you know, being a woman film director and I'm in an equal marriage, I'm so grateful. Uh, both my parents, my mother and father were feminists, so, but you know, you realize how, you know, that's not the case in so much. So how, how can, we all kind of push harder to make that more for everyone. Mm-hmm. Do you do you ever kind of, you know, I know you said there's a lot of energy about this, but um, do you kind of ever tire? What was my question? You're like, just kind of get a little bit exhausted of, of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, since the election, I, I think like everyone, I have vacillated to feeling very overwhelmed and worried about our country and then feeling very motivated to do something. I mean, fortunately... Um, but you mean, am I tired for the fight? No, I'm very motivated by the fight, mm-hmm. but am I worried about our country? Yes. Um, but I think it's an opportunity, you know, when really bad stuff happens, you come together. I mean, I've had more great conversations with people in the last three months than I think I ever have in my life. Partnerships, people that I kind of knew, but we're like doing stuff together. I've been, I don't know. I feel it's a, think always during dark periods it's really an opportunity to band together and yeah. organize yeah and so but you know I'm like any working parent I mean 
I was overwhelmed like twice today. And um, I think like we can all feel, but mostly I feel really inspired by working on this project. And, you know, my family and I, we all unplug from all technology one oh, day yes. a week. So that's the only saving grace in all of my stress is that I'm like on the weekends, I'm like, no screens, no stress, hanging with my family. And then I get back to work on Monday. That's on Saturday you do that? Or well, what? we're Jewish. We're not religious, but we do do Shabbat. And uh-huh. we, Friday night, we always have a friends over. We have a big meal. And then yeah. all the screens go off for the day. And we've uh-huh. been doing it for seven years. Cool. For yeah. all Saturday? Or, or all Saturday. Friday night? Yeah, it starts Friday night. And then it, it, it doesn't like, it's not like we wait for the sun to drop uh-huh. to go the screens go out. Usually my husband and I have a date night on Saturday night. And whenever we start getting ready for that, so it depends what day, daylight savings is. So like yeah. 4.35, the screens, you know, the kids have their tech date night and we go out. <laughs> <laughs> tech date night. I mean, how hard is that to stick to? The, uh, unplugging. You know, people ask that a lot. I, it's a sanctuary for me. So how hard it was. You know, at the beginning, I think, you know, it's the phantom limb. And I usually keep a right. big piece of paper with like a Sharpie. And I, like the first hour or two... I feel like my brain is tumbling out to do things and I write it so I don't forget. And then by like an hour and a half, I'm like, ugh, and then I'm so happy. Mm. And um, I, I think it's That's just a good idea. creatively, uh, well, you're in a creative profession too. I feel incredibly creative the next day after unplugging. So I feel like there's you know, so many studies about how good it is to just put your mind in a different mode. So I find Friday and Saturday, I'm reading a lot, I'm daydreaming, I'm hanging with my family. And I love it. I race towards it. And then, you know, there's certain times of the year I'm traveling for some reason on Saturday. Like this Saturday, I have to go on a trip and I leave at one. So I have to be on the screens to my plane and all this stuff. And I can already feel a little stressed that I'm not going to have a whole day off. Like I know mm-hmm. it's going to off kilter me a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like hiking and all that stuff. Does that do the same unplugging for you? Um, morning hikes or afternoon uh, hikes? I or- mean... In the romantic version of myself, I do a lot of morning hikes, but the <laughs> reality is doesn't happen all the time. But, you know, usually Saturday is the day that we're, like, biking and gardening. We, we're out, out and about on... So yeah, Saturday's, like, family day for us. So, um, I was thinking about this. Well, there's kind of two questions if you would have changed. Well, you're 2010. Gosh, can we edit that out? Because I just stumbled all the way through that uh, question. Sure, sure. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But so, um, your 2010 commencement speech at UC Berkeley was on NPR's list of the best commencement speeches ever. You know that, of course. <laughs> you looked at me like you did. I, you know no, no. It was, ever. It, was a, it was a pretty great moment. I have to say, just because there was very few women on that list, that would be number one. But Yeah. Uh, but, you know, because I was so nervous about that speech. I mean, you know, when you're... It was such a big moment for me. You know, I just lost my dad, and I was asked to speak. I just turned 40. I was so nervous about that talk, and I worked so hard on it. And... I got up there, and I do give a lot of talks, but I've never been more nervous because it was like, I don't know, it was over 10,000 people. It was crazy. So I, my mouth got really dry, and, and then suddenly I kind of got in the zone, and I just spoke from my heart, and I ad-libbed some stuff that worked. I it just came in the moment because I was probably nervous, but uh, anyways, and it went really well. And then when, that came, when it came out on the NPR list, I was, I was so surprised and honored and like... It was very validating. I mean, I'd lie to you if I didn't. It was probably the biggest thing I've ever done in my life. Uh-huh. And I was, you know, and I felt like life was kind of grabbing me by the shoulders and was like, what have you learned so far? 
teach it to the next generation. I was like, uh-huh. and I had just come off such a traumatic year in my life. So mm-hmm. it was, it was definitely a moment. It was a moment. <laughs> I just got asked to dim- give another commencement speech. And so I've been working on it. And it's interesting because then you don't want to give the same speech. Right. And so it's like, what have but you learned? It's the same life. It's, it's the same like life, a- but it was seven years ago. Yeah. So like, or six years ago. So what have I learned since then? Well, also wrapping in the bigger things. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm kind of, it's an interesting, you know, it's, it, it feels like such a big responsibility uh-huh. to give one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So what would you change now if you could? I think I would talk more about the, um, I'm going to, well, there's a couple things. I'm going to talk more about the 50-50 stuff because um, I, I really have the, just the way to think about equality in society. I'm also going to, I think I'm going to talk about, you know, there's 168 hours in the week and and you got to really think about, they say that, you know, 74 hours you're staring at a screen. And you're sleeping for, you know, seven days a week. Let's say you get eight hours, 56 hours. So, like, how to live a good life and be really um, protective and mindful of those hours. Um, and, you know, the, here's the thing I've been, I'm curious. I mean, in college, you know, you're so young. You're not really thinking about how short life is, you know, at that moment. Because you're just at this young, you're, you're a quarter of the way down of life. Mm-hmm. but how much can you impress upon how important your time is and your attention is and to not let it just get distracted into oblivion. So I think... I Did you think, talk... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Did you talk about grit? Was that part of the... Uh, My last one? Yeah. You, you mentioned that I earlier. Use, I didn't use that word, but I, you know, I mean, I'm definitely someone, I'm pretty persistent, and that was definitely a message when I, at my, at my Berkeley commencement speech is just, you know, the more people said I couldn't do something, the more I was like, oh, I'm going to do it, you know? And, and when I think back now, I don't know if you feel this way, but just when you're young, you don't have all the responsibilities that you, I mean, there's so many risks you can take because yeah, you yeah, are yeah. just taking care of yourself yeah. pretty much. So just go back to what I was doing exactly. a day earlier. Just like take big risks because yeah, yeah. when you're older and you have more people relying on you, it gets harder to do that. Yeah. That's, a, that's what people say. Yeah. Uh, you know, you hear that a lot, I think. Maybe not a lot, but as a, as a you know, 18, 22, 24-year-old, you probably hear that. But it's, it takes the gritty people, gritty? Uh, yeah. You know, it takes people with, with grit to deploy that tactic. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. I mean, as always, I think with these things, you just, as honest as you can be. That's always, like, how can you share... And just be, I feel like my best talks are when I'm just inc- just very honest and um, trying to get to that. What is that that you want to impart? Uh, why were you invited? Uh, was it because, uh, for the this commencement speech? For the Berkeley because, one? Yeah, was it due to the Webby Awards that you created? or? Uh, yeah, a, I think it was. Webby's was it just that you were an Emmy nominated filmmaker and author, public speaker, <laughs> and internet provider? And which uh, part was it? I think it was. You know, I went to Cal. I went to Cal, but I think it was probably the, the Webbies and the filmmaking. But, yeah. Oh, you went, and you went to Cal, yeah. I went to Cal. You're a golden girl. They don't always have a Cal. You like that? Golden, golden girl. Golden girl, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I had a great experience at Cal. Cal was a really. I just heard that they. They have their first ever women woman uh, chancellor. 
just great. Was appointed this week. Great. In their whole history, which is great. Um, yeah. And so you founded the Web, Webby Awards. Yeah. In 1996. Yeah. And how did you start that up? And is that something you're still active in? Um, well, I was always into technology back from when I was in high school. I had the first, you know, I had an Apple IIe, I had mm. a Mac, and I was very into technology. And um, I always would pretty much work in tech to pay for my films when I was just starting out. Mm. And when I first saw the web, I just thought, this is absolutely going to change the world. And I was getting out of debt on one of my films, and I was working for the web magazine, which was kind of a magazine too early for its time. It was yeah, before, right. it was a bummer because it went under, but it was like, the like yeah, the, exactly. It's so like, yeah, um, kind of meta. And anyways, and so they had no budget. They were like, can you do something? And so I'm like, sure, I'm an independent filmmaker. I know how to think two things for no budget. And, you know, started the Webbies, and I wanted to make uh, a subversive award show. And we made a lot of films for it. I had a lot of artists. We had a five-word acceptance speech rule. We did the first one at Bimbo's. And then it just took off. It hit the time. We worked hard. What do they say when opportunity, hard work, and, you know, we just worked so hard on that. And the timing just hit with the first Mm -hmm. internet boom. And I was in my 20s and just riding a rocket ship and, and driving the rocket ship with the Webbies. And, um, and I would make a lot of films for it. And I really wanted to get back someday to combining um, all I learned from the web with film to make social change. So I sold it almost about a decade in. I still have equity in it, but I don't run it at all anymore. I have a film studio here in San Francisco and we make films and global days on discussions, but I love the Webbies. I mean, it was my baby and I'm really proud. It just had its 20th anniversary and it's in New York and it, they do great. Drive cool. It. Yeah. That's, I mean, so many cool things. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. Um, okay. Um, what's the other like really great disruptive innovation award? One of the many awards that you've won. Disruption Disruptive Innovative Innovation Award. What's your favorite disruptive technology? Well, I think most people would not say this one, but I think it's pretty fat. Well, oh, no, wait. Okay, I was going to say one, but now I want to say a new one. I have two new ones that I think are pretty You can fat. say three. Okay, I'm going to say three. Thank you. There's no limit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, first, as a filmmaker, when they, on a cell phone, I can just imagine the moment when some designer was like, wait, let's put the button for the camera on the front of the camera so people can film themselves. Like, that was huge because it used to be you needed someone to film you, and so it was always somebody there. The moment that you could record yourself, to me, like, I I make these films called cloud films, and I ask people questions over the Internet, and they film themselves answers and send them to me, and I integrate Mm -hmm. them into some of my movies, and it's such a kind of visceral feeling of somebody filming themselves because they're not self-conscious because there's no one else there. Yeah. So I think that was a very cool technology in terms of filmmaking and how light. I mean, I've got a f- great film camera in my hand with my phone. It's amazing. Yeah. So that's one. Two is Alexa, which is the Amazon Echo. Mm-hmm. And I love not having the screen and verbally talking in the kitchen, asking for the news, the weather, music, recipes. It's really, to me, 
a huge step forward in technology because it's removed the going to your screen to look something up and going down the rabbit hole of a stressful email or text. So when I'm like cooking and I'm like, Alexa, play Billie Holiday. Billie Holiday. Alexa, turn NPR news on. You know, Alexa, what's the recipe? For, and I'm just cooking and doing my thing and I don't have to be looking at a screen. And then my last disruptive technology I will share is I use an artificial intelligence robot assistant to schedule all my calls. And she's awesome and most people don't know. And when I tell them that they freak out and she's super amazing. And I have work? feelings for her at this point. <laughs> You're blowing my mind. Um, walk me through this. Paint me a picture. You call up. We made calls. an appointment. Who did yeah. you make an appointment with? Who made the appointment? Robbie. Clara. Clara is not a person. Mind blown. Mind blown. Was it email? Email. He, he and Clara. email has access to my calendar and access to your calendar. And it just freed up me and my team to focus on things that don't need to be scheduling. And I do a lot of calls internationally and in New York and just the time difference and all of that, that's a perfect thing for a robot. So I, um, I've had so many funny things happen last couple of months because it, it has just freed up so much time for my team. So my whole staff uses Clara. Um, so if we gave a bottle of wine on the way out, also make sure and give this to Clara too. People like, love Clara. Say, she's no so problem. efficient. Yeah, she's so efficient. Both of them. People, if I ever like let it leak that she's uh, a robot, uh-huh. it really does. Cause She's so so good. She never yeah. lets anything drop in all hours of the day. I'm like, schedule it away. Boom, boom, boom. As soon as she overschedules me, I'm like, I haven't gone to the bathroom all day. Let me in. Give me a five-minute buffer between calls. You just email her and she... It's called Clara Labs. It's been pretty life-changing. Wow. Yeah. Do, do my husband different, makes... Do they have different ro- names? Uh, no. always, always Clara? Clara. Um, but my husband's a, a robotics professor at UC Berkeley, so we do play around a lot and talk a lot and think a lot about robots and artificial intelligence but this one this one's been blowing my mind because a lot of things robots cannot do but scheduling in different time zones that's a perfect thing to be automated mm-hmm. who wants to deal with that yeah like let's free our brains up for things that need empathy and innovative thinking and yes. flexibility what are some of the other cool robots give me some data <laughs> other cool talk robots? to me about robots well I mean, has a lot of cool robots in his lab and we have some cool robots at home um but you know i think people are i mean his big thing so many people are have so much hysteria that robots are gonna like take over Mm -hmm. humans he's like that's bullshit Mm -hmm. and he does not believe that and um i have to give humans more credit for what we can do in our brains but there are a lot of things that the robots can do um we'll see what is the legacy you want to leave um, that's a good question. I think to always try to do things that haven't been done and bringing people together for unimportant issues in new ways. Um, and I think I do talk to a lot of people about our one day off of technology and I People have tried it because I tell them how good it's been for my life and I, I would be happy if people, I think people are too distracted and on screens too much and not paying attention to the people that they love enough. I just heard a story today, a friend of mine's husband just passed away suddenly, unexpectedly and you just, you just don't know. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I feel like death is very close to me. Like I, I really, I just, I just feel like every moment you have to think 
am I being present with this moment? And you never know when it's going to end. And I just feel like, do you really need to be on that? And I'm constantly, I mean, there's times I'm like, Tiffany, get off the computer. (laughs) Like, get off the phone. Like, what are you doing? Constantly having that inner dialogue with myself, but having that boundary of one day. So I think that legacy would be good. But I guess my biggest are my children. Um, I love my children so much. And um, so I think that's the ultimate legacy is your children. You gave a beautiful part of 50-50. There was this, uh, the bat mitzvah with your daughter. Yeah. You talked about mentorship. Yeah. Do you want to repeat that? I thought it was beautiful. What you you sort of gave advice to her. Well, I think, you know, my mom, I'm really close with my mom and was really close to my dad. And, um, I think mentors are really important. And I think a lot of people, I've heard people say, well, I don't have a mentor or, but the good thing is, is that everyone can mentor someone else. All of us know something that someone else doesn't know. And the more you know about history, the more you can think of all these courageous women and men that live before you, they can be mentors to you and how they live their lives. So suddenly you can feel an abundant source of mentorship. You can just open up the definition more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that remembering that there's so many people to learn from, that's what a mentor is, is someone that guides you and that you can learn from. And if you kind of open up your mind to what a mentor is and how they can help you and where they are and how you can mentor, suddenly the world becomes filled with mentors. Mm-hmm. Who are your mentors? Well, I would say my parents and I have, I have a great mentor from Berkeley, UC Berkeley, one of my teachers, Marilyn Fabe, and some of my executive producers on my films, Geraldine Dreyfus, the new one, Jackie Zaner. I have someone in San Francisco, Sissy Swig. There's a lot of, and I, and I have had male mentors when I was doing the Webbies. There was a, um, the president of the company at the time, Kelly Conlon. I, I feel very, you know, and I do seek mentorship out too. I mean, I'm part of something called the Aspen Institute where they assign you mm-hmm. a mentor and they assign me Anna Devere Smith, who's amazing as a mentor. But whenever I start a new project, I always gather advisors together and they're always a different combination depending mm-hmm. on what I'm doing. But I, I love asking for advice. I feel like I love hearing wisdom from other people and what they've learned. And of course, there's so many things you have to do yourself to do <laughs> mistakes over, but so much you can learn from people. I mean, um, and so I just, I think it's, it's appreciating, it's appreciating other people too. It's appreciating their uniqueness and what they have to offer. And everyone has something to do. Mm-hmm. I was sitting in this uh, chair, sitting across looking at someone else who's, you know, um, every time I do a podcast, they're always like inspirational people. Mm. I mean, they're, they're, and they're killing it, <laughs> you know, typically. And I, 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 I like to think of myself of someone who's just, you know, motivated to just do my best yeah. in life. Yeah. Period. Yeah. But I don't know if I can put words to it, but I'm going to ask you to put words to it. Like, why do you have that um, feeling, you know, motivation, that spirit, that drive? Hmm. <clears throat> well, that's a great question. I mean, I am. I feel like. You know how I was saying how I feel so lucky that I'm alive right now? Yes. I feel like I'm on the edge of this evolution of women getting more power in society. And, and there's so many people fought for where I get to stand today. And to not for a second um, 
take for granted those struggles and that it's my responsibility to keep pushing to make that path wider. So I feel, you know, I'm also Jewish and, you know, a lot of my grandparents' family died in the Holocaust. So you just feel like you're, you were given this opportunity to be here and you better, you better do all you can for as long as you can, as much good as you can. There was a quote I just read that says that better, but yeah, I feel a responsibility. I mean, since I wish I, <laughs> there was a time when I'm like, oh my gosh, why are you taking on so much? And sometimes I have to stop myself because I'm only human and I, I say yes to too many things and then I have to pull back. And usually I figure out that I need to pull back on those Saturdays when I'm unplugged, when I have a mm -hmm. moment to have gained some perspective. Yeah, because when I'm on, I'm just like, yes, yeah, do, yeah, do, yeah. make happen and connect. And, and I'm just, a, I like to make things happen and that are meaningful. And so, but I, I, I do feel incredible responsibility. And you know that saying, you know, you better, you've been given a lot and I feel really grateful for that and I better earn it or... Do right, back, by it, do right by it. Do right by it. Give back, you know. Give yeah. back to the world. Make try to make it better. Yeah. No. Where does your drive come from? Uh, Were you no, always like, like that? Um, probably not. I don't know. Um, I guess it was born out of my granddad. Huh. He was, you know, um, hardworking. I'm from the Midwest, a little yeah. town outside northeast of Kansas City, huh. called Trenton. And then he would take me as a seven-year-old. I was like the youngest child in the whole kind of family tree. Yeah. And a grandson. And we would go pick up rocks huh. from old farmhouses, really foundation pieces from farmhouses he would have demolished. And you, before they planted that area, because we wanted to get more crop coverage, you know, so demolish the farmhouse. He had me picking up rocks. And then he would give me a quarter after like two hours of working and, you know, say, put this in the bank, huh. you know, a quarter. And, you know... Missouri morning in the summer. It's hot and sweaty at huh. 10. And so he was driven that way. I never, I don't know if that, it definitely influenced me. But then kind of, I think mid-college, I had exposure to some success. And then that breeds more success. Mm -hmm. But, you know, everyone talks about how to raise a child with grit. Yeah. You know, and that's why I was kind of asking about grit. Yeah. Um, not sure where that comes from. Not sure how that developed yet, but... I think having little successes and then you're like, and then once you achieve a little bit more, then a certain amount of, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm very so grateful, but a certain amount of success, I think like, well, there's nothing to lose anymore. So how, mm. how, how cool can life be? How much can I do neat philanthropy? How mm -hmm. much can I, mm -hmm. you know, reach even higher? And I, so I guess that's yeah. just sort of took over eventually. Interesting. To drive higher. I don't know. I should think about that answer too. It wasn't very good, huh? No, no. I mean, I think it's just one of those. I mean, it's just one of those big questions of like, what is your drive about? Why? Why are you so driven? I mean, I think it's a great question because I. I mean, I mean, and my brother and sister and I, all three of us, are very driven. And I mean, I'm sure it, our parents were both ran their own companies and. Everyone was very hard workers in my family. Like work ethic yeah. was really yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. Go above and beyond what's asked of you. Yeah. Like I guess maybe I don't have this part where I have to do the world right, um, but it, that's come along too. Yeah. But um, I think every day is a gift too. 
Yeah. Like I don't take it for granted. I don't have to take any successes for granted. Like it all fell apart. Yeah. And I had to go, you know, live in a one bedroom apartment in the middle of Kansas City. Yeah. You know? I would be like bummed, but I would also be like, that was a great ride. Yeah. That was really intense. So by having that kind of mentality of, of um, just playing the best game I can, the, yeah. playing the best life I can, yeah. n- very, very well knowing that you know I could die, I yeah. could hit by a bus, something more, much bigger could happen to my family. Yeah, you know, and that keeps me grounded, and and then it's easier to just yeah rock, I guess, as much as you can. I yeah, I agree. Mm. I agree. Um, the the last question then is. Um, because we run an interior design studio, so. Oh, I love interior. I love your stuff too. Oh, thank you. Um, so, what's your favorite room in your house, huh. and why? That's a great question. Um, I look at my house as like a canvas. It's like an evolving canvas. I'm always working on a particular project or. Uh-huh. Um. Well, our our dinner table is a source of a lot of love, you know, because we have these big Friday night meals every Friday, and we always make a big feast, and we have a kind of an open space, so the dining room, living room, kitchen are all, like, the heart of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really, I love, I love how design these days brings those spaces together. And I'll, but I'll tell you one interesting thing about design that's a new thing that's kind of surprising me. Mm-hmm. But we just moved our film studio and we used to have a big open space. Yes. And now we each have our own offices. And I'm really appreciating the value of having my own space too. Uh-huh. And I've heard this from like a lot of people that run companies, like the open space trend and now suddenly like, it's okay like, to just my... actually yeah. shut the door <laughs> and have a moment yeah. and not be like on and engaging every second. And mm-hmm. I, and I, I really, once we had it, like, wow, that's a beautiful thing, too. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of, like, you know, at home, it's a lot of activity and lots of, we live, like, in a place that all the kids hang out and it's very central, which I love. Um, and then when I go to work, I like also having just solitude when mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Mm. Well, it's been beautiful sitting down <laughs> with you. Oh, thank, thank you so you. much for gracing our studio. Oh, this has been so much fun. I, I needed it. Podcast. Yeah. Uh, um, thank you. Cheers. Well, it's actually, you know, the interesting thing about podcasts. I mean, are we? Yeah. yeah. But I, I find it fascinating that in this era of distraction, which we're living in, everyone's distracted, yeah. the rise of the podcast, because Whenever I do a podcast, because I've been on shows and we've been doing interviews for them, it's probably the most focused conversation you ever have. We are looking at each other for an hour yeah. and we're not distracted. So I think it's this kind of equalizing of the distracted culture we're living that suddenly everyone wants to listen to a con- podcast or be in a podcast or whatever, because it's like this generous listening mm-hmm. which Gener- and focused. Focused. Yeah. Like eye contact, no cell phones. It's More pretty. podcasts is what you're basically saying. We should have 24-7 podcasts. Yeah. Eight, hour pod- <laughs> eight hours a day. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Yeah.